totalitarians. I'm going to be in Melbourne uh, next week, I think it'll be, from Tuesday onwards. Come check out my show. I'm doing my brand new stand-up show, Strawberry Blonde, for 12 nights only. There's very limited tickets left. I would love to have you there. And as a thank you to everyone who listened to Finding Drago, I have a two-for-one ticket code. There's only a handful of two-for-one tickets available. If you use the code DRAGO in the checkout, you can get cheap two-for-one tickets for my show. There's only a few, so get them while you can. Um, Google Cameron James, Strawberry Blonde, and buy some tickets. Also, while you're on Google... Type in something naughty. Go to the image tab. Check out a nice, like, bot or a tit or something. You <laughs> might be titillated and have a nice time. The links to Cameron's show are, in fact, in the show notes. And there actually might be a link to a tit or a button there as well. <laughs> <laughs> also, in the meantime, you will listen to this on release day. There is a poll up on our Twitter, at Total Reboot Pod on Twitter to find out what reboot remake we're going to be doing next. What are our options, Cameron? Dumbo. Directed by Tim Burden. Pet Cemetery. Directed by some guy who likes Stephen King books. And... Shit, what's the other one? Hellboy. Hellboy. Directed by Neil Marshall, I believe, mm. who is a Game of Thrones director and director of The Frickin' Descent and stars the star of Stranger Things on HBO, Daniel Harbour. David Harbour. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there's a poll up on Twitter. Vote in it now. And also, there's a poll up over here thinking about tits and bots. So. <laughs> hey, what's up? It's Thomas Nicholas, uh, also known as Kevin from American Pie. And when I'm not going the growl, which I think is better known as the tongue tornado, I'm listening to the Total Reboot with Cam and Alexi. everybody you're listening to total reboot the only podcast in existence that dares to discuss cinema my name is cameron james and sitting at 90 degrees to me is the baddest motherfucker i've ever met in my life it's alexi toliopoulos nahal cameron Wow, what does that mean? That means hello in Cantonese. That's beautiful pronunciation. For I me. studied Cantonese religiously for the last two weeks to offer you that greeting in honour of our first Cantonese language movie. I too have also learned some Cantonese. Okay. I'll have the cream of some young guy. <laughs> wow. That sounds delicious. Yeah, well, you're in for a bit of a rude awakening. I well, say. coming right up. <laughs> coming right up, we're going to talk about a movie. But first, what the hell is this podcast, dude? What do we do on this podcast? What we heck we do on this podcast? I'm too afraid to say hell on this example. Oh, yeah, of course. It's going to come up quite a little bit as we talk about this film. Absolutely. But what the heck this podcast is about is we examine reboots, remakes, and the original source material films 
in cinema. When you say examine, you think of like studying and researching and really dissecting something. Mm. But really what's going to happen is we're going to riff around. We're going to riff around. We're going to talk about film, filmmaking, film history and thereabouts. And we may make a few jokes here and there. We might try and titillate you with a couple of laughs. I'd love to be titillated. TBH. I would love to be titillated. (laughs) TBH to be perfectly TBH. I would absolutely adore the opportunity to get freaking titillated up in here. Oh my god, when was the last time you got titillated? And be honest. And be honest, probably during the watching of the film that we're discussing today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I was yeah. titillated, I was tantalized, and baby, the characters may have been in the purgatory slash hell, but I was in gangster heaven. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about a gangster movie today. Uh, we're talking about Infernal Affairs. Before we dive into it, though, Alexi, I have to ask you this question. Uh-huh. And please be honest with me. Okay. Why have we never reviewed a gangster movie before? Because it is, we both love gangster we movies. We both adore gangster movies. And it is crazy because I was just thinking about this now just before we went Joseph Gordon-Levitt style hit record on this episode. <laughs> was I don't think we ever have. Even no. going back to Blank Slate era, mm-hmm. I don't know if we've ever truly talked about like a straight up gangster movie. The closest we've come to reviewing a gangster movie is in Austin Powers 2 when mm. Dr. Evil's in prison. Yeah, and <laughs> that's two, that's three. He's in prison. He's talking to gangs. Yeah. He's talking to uh, Tiny Lister, I believe. Yeah, t- Tommy Tiny Lister's there. Yeah, Tommy Tiny Lister's there and there. Oh, of course. I don't think he's ever not been cast yeah. in a prison scene. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, getting knocked the fuck out by a certain gangster. That's awesome stuff. Is that him? That's Ice Cube getting knocked out by Tommy Tony Lister. Yeah. Okay. I thought it's, uh, it goes both ways. Uh, yeah. It swings both ways. Uh, the other closest would have been we did Compton's. Straight <laughs> out of Compton. You keep Straight calling out. it Compton's Most Wanted, which is. I know. I'm shit. It's so close, it's but also so way close. off. The I mark. keep calling it Compost as well. It's like, keep sounding like Compost. Com- compost Most Wanted, starring Ice T. Yeah. And-, and a couple of freaking mandarin peels. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I think we never have And we did review Straight Out Compton years ago You and I mm. We went to the sitter mm. And we did a late night record Yeah, we went to a I believe a the premiere Of Straight Out of Compton I don't even think it was a premiere I think it was before the days we got invited I think we went to like a cheap Tuesday session Well, why was it packed? Because we went to a cinema in Burwood Where it would be the most <laughs> popular movie of all time there And um we made jokes about Suge Knight on the podcast. On the podcast, and, and I had a moral dilemma. I started freaking out yep. that Suge Knight would send guys to kill us. Yeah, which... and this is we had like a hundred and fifty listeners or something <laughs> like that, maybe two hundred listeners. And I literally edited out some of the funniest jokes that we've ever done. Yeah, making fun of a notorious gangster because. Killer. Slash record producer, because <laughs> I was scared that he would send goons after us yeah. and kill us. Well, and that was so infuriating to me at the time. I remember being like, come on, dude, Suge Knight is not going to listen yep. to us. Uh, but I had to respect you. You didn't want it out there, and that's fair enough. And to this day, we have never reviewed a gangster movie because... We're afraid. We're afraid. We're, We're afraid, afraid of getting gangsters. tracked down. We think Tony Soprano's going to come Tony after Soprano, us. Who, some people think he's dead. I think he's still out there trying to track down yeah. podcast reviewers. A lot of people don't know what happened at the end there. Yeah. But they, we we can't be sure, so we can't be safe. Yeah. And now finally, Waddy Bulger's bit the dust. He was murdered in prison, <laughs> in a prison hospital. Tragically, 
we did lose Whitey Bulger. Sadly, Whitey Bulger did go that black mass up in the sky. I would like <laughs> he's to, in heaven uh, right now. He's in heaven. Yeah. One of the most evil, most wanted men is in heaven. He's in heaven right now, goofing on Elvis. <laughs> Elvis Andy and Kaufman style. Yeah, they're all mucking around. Elvis is up there with Andy Kaufman, <laughs> just mucking around, pulling pranks on everybody. Yeah, I'd like to just take a moment to pull one out for Whitey Bulger. Yeah. And when I say one out, I don't mean a drink. I mean some of that gravy, some of that tomato sauce. <laughs> yeah, you got to pull some of that classic gangster recipe that everyone would have learned way yeah. back in the olden days when the Godfather, <laughs> when Fat Clemenza's teaching uh, Michael how to make a gravy and meatball sauce. I love Italian food. I love Italian gangsters. But today, I mean, this ain't Italian gangsters we're talking about. No, no, This We're talking about Infernal Affairs, the 2002 Hong Kong gangster film Mm. that would later go on to viciously inspire Martin Scorsese to head on down to the black mass of America, (laughs) Massachusetts, that is, to make The Departed. Yeah, he sort of watched this movie and went, you know what, this, but let's park the car and bust it, yeah. <laughs> this, but let's make it freaking guilty as Catholic as yeah, hell. Yeah, this, but Goodwill humping style. <laughs> so that is what we're going to be talking about next week, is The Departed. I honestly can't wait to talk about that because I saw the movie seven times in the cinema. <laughs> it, it landed at a very special point in my life. How old were you? Um, I would have been about three years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that I would tracks. Have, I would have been um, 14, 15 when that movie came out. Prime age for getting into Scorsese. Yeah, I was fully in on Scorsese at that time. And it was the first one I ever got to see in the cinema. And let me tell you, I made my money's worth of it. This was your Goodfellas. It was my Goodfellas. It was my awakening. Wow. It was my awakenings. Yeah, it also stars one of Scorsese's regulars. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I had never seen this one before. Uh, tell me, had you seen Infernal Affairs before this viewing? I reckon this would have been my fourth time seeing this film because after Departed oh, came yeah. out, obviously it sounds like I was obsessed with it. Mm. That is the truth. Uh, I got a box set of the films on DVD. Someone gifted them to me because I knew of how the much Infernal I loved Affairs film, the Infernal Affairs trilogy, uh, directed by Alan Mack and Andrew Lau. That I hadn't seen them before. Chucked the first one on, and I loved it. Mm. But it was it's. I think it's interesting for us here because you and I are so familiar with The Departed. Yeah. And so familiar Please with that gangster use genre. the correct pronunciation. The Departed. The Departed. That it is so hard not to see it in this film. Yeah. yeah. And I, at the time, that's what I felt as well. But I liked them both a lot and for different reasons. I think that, you know, The Departed is... A, it's a huge movie. It's mm. so fat. Mm. This is kind of quite lean. It's yeah. just the plot of the film for the most part, and and with the ex- existential dread of the f- of the plotline as well that the characters are going through. But um, they're they're different, but they're so similar because it's the exact same plot basically, mm. almost not beat for beat because Departed is like five times as long as this movie. Yeah, but it is basically the same. It's a yeah, basically some, same. Some scenes are verbatim. Yeah, and but this is a very lean film, but. Um, it's it's so interesting to watch this because gangster films is what I what introduced me to cinema. Really, yeah. they were my gateway into cinema. I was obsessed with the mafia and shit. Yeah, as like you a love a meta. I love a meta, and I didn't take it because I'd be freaking talking about it nonstop. <laughs> Have you ever taken any kind of blood oath? Uh, no, never. 
Okay, that's would you truth. like to? I would absolutely love to. I guess in a way, this is a blood oath between you and I. You know what we I. should do? We should snap a DVD in half, cut our thumbs, <laughs> yeah, and then just press our thumbs together. Are we going to put a poll online for what DVD you think we should snap in half? <laughs> I'm I'm voting for Corky Romano. <laughs> okay, the poll is over. <laughs> the poll is over. There's a winner. It's going to be Corky Romano. <laughs> That honestly, Corky Romano. It's either Corky no Romano or Mickey Blue. <laughs> Mickey Blue. Honestly, I own both, and both were super important for me in coming into cinema because I was obsessed with mafia shit, and I wasn't allowed to see The Godfather or anything yeah. because it was rated R. No, or, so I had to go for the non-R-rated gangster movies. Yeah. What are they? Corky Romano and Mickey Blue Eyes. Did you ever That's see? It. Uh, analyze this and that. Analyze their this MA. and that. Did you ever see The Freshman? I've never seen The Freshman. <laughs> That's one of Sam Campbell's favorite movies. Really? Yeah, he's he loves it. It's like Marlon Brando is sort of playing Vito Corleone yeah. in. It's so weird. And it's got like Ferris Bueller. Ferris Bueller yeah. versus The Godfather. It's the first instance of like, to my memory, of someone playing to type for comedy reasons. Yeah. The, basically, without The Freshman, there'd be no back half of Robert De Niro's career. Yeah, that's, that's it. That's my hot take that's of this episode. That's so good. Because, yeah, what would he be doing? He'd just be like freaking just doing, you know, prestige dramas still, which yeah, would, just be, we'd love. He'd be great. He'd <laughs> be great doing <laughs> great doing movies. Great. But that's what, that was my introduction. That was the gateway for me into cinema. It was through that and then going through The Godfather, finally getting mm. to see The Godfather, then being introduced to Scorsese. And I went all the way back. Mm. I went and I saw Little Caesar around that time. Mm. From the 1930s, I saw Public Enemy as well with James Cagney. Mm-hmm. And that was... I, like, I went fully in. I reckon I've seen almost every single iconic American gangster movie wow. from every point in history because I just became fully obsessed as a 14-year-old virgin. So that was all I had going for me was that. And... Um, it's interesting because the Ameri- it is really an American genre as we know it. Like there's other genres that feel more worldly and have been that we see them not just as American, even though gangster films, they are either defined by place, time, ethnicity mm. is really how they become defined. And of course, there's huge gangster movies from it's a global genre as well, but it structurally is known as an American genre Mm. because it is all about the rise and more importantly, the fall of the gangster. Mm. The rise is quite glamorous. We're seeing all these amazing like cars. It's all this materialism. It's like all about capitalism, all about materialism. It's about the American dream is Mm. how we know that rise. But the fall is super American as well because it is something that was legally instated during like the Hayes Code period was that we couldn't see the gangster gangsters succeed mm. and a lot of those early gangster movies like the ones i mentioned and including scarface which i get will guess we'll have to do one, eventually yeah. mm. the uh paul mooney scarface public enemy and little caesar they all have that fall and they all begin with like this huge like warning from the fbi basically <laughs> and just saying that we do not glamorize these um the the these these lifestyles we do not think that they are cool and that is why there is going to be a fucking ending where they die like that's how they begin it's like jagger hoover like just addressing the camera going guys this is not cool shit yeah, it is basically that it's like a scroll it's like if star wars began with like a long time ago guys, and it goes far far away space. jedi's are fucking lame okay yeah. 
the... if you go to space, you will not be able to breathe out there. So just don't even try it. <laughs> don't promise. Even think about it. And also, don't drink the booze up there, please. Yeah. And if you try to use the force, you will find that nothing happens. So just this is just make believe, everybody. And don't talk to a little green fella. <laughs> if you're talking to a little green fella, uh, put the reefer down, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but then thinking about this now as a Hong Kong film mm. and to kind of contextualize that because it's an area that I don't really know too much about. I've seen quite a bit of Hong Kong cinema, but it's not, I don't feel like I'm an expert on it the same way that I am about gangster cinema. Uh, I kind of went for a slight little dive. Not a, I'm not going to call it a deep dive, but I went on mm. a dive trying to find out a way to contextualize this for us because we have all the context that we ever need for The Departed coming up. But I thought this one, we deserved a little bit more. So uh, David Baldwell, who's like one of the great film writers ever, he wrote a book called Planet Hong Kong. And I'll paraphrase something he said there. It's since World War II, triads controlled extortion, gambling, heroin, smuggling, and prostitution. And many became involved in filmmaking, kind of through martial arts films because mm. it's, the martial arts was like, you know, it's fighting. That's yeah. what gangsters do. They fight. They love that shit. So it's kind of all about how the triad slowly became involved in cinema as well. And in the mid-80s, there was a huge boom in gangster films mm. in Hong Kong. Uh, and they were portrayed the gangsters kind of like honorable. Mm-hmm. And heroic, it was there was it was almost like a subgenre of types called heroic bloodshed. And they all starred Chow Yun Fat and directed by John Woo. Yeah, right. Who we know. They made the crossover to mm-hmm. America and to the West where we live. Yeah. And Australia. Australia is in the South, technically. Uh, technically, it's in the South, but I mean... Culturally, it, culturally we are the West. We're West. Sure. We're Western. We, geographically, we are South. Geographically. You couldn't get much south of. <laughs> Only a little bit more and you'd be freaking in the Antarctic. I mean, your nips would be going rock solid <laughs> if exactly. you went any south You may as well be freaking Shackleton if you're going a little bit further than we are. <laughs> Uh, so the film he, their, their film together was A Better Tomorrow Which was also a trilogy uh, Directed by John Woo Starring Chow Yun Fat mm-hmm. And that was like It's the typical John Woo style uh, You know Doves Basically Two doves Two guns Hardcore action suits. It's gangster meets cops It's kind of undercover world type thing And it was produced by a, a producer called Sui Hark Those three reteamed for a film called The Killer which is like mm. a huge, iconic, like bastion of Hong Kong cinema, gangster cinema, crime cinema, and world cinema, really. Um, the other big figure in this time period was a director called Ringo Lam, who was a director of a film called City on Fire. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, is that the one that the uh, Tarantino ripped off for um, Reservoir Dogs? Yes. Yes. Exactly okay. the one yes. he ripped off. And that stars Chow Yun Fat as an undercover cop in a gang. Just yeah, sure, like sure. Tim Roth. So that's the one that he ripped off. But uh, Ringo Lamb style is kind of like no gloss. It is docudrama style. He's kind of like the Ken Loach of Hong Kong action <laughs> cinema, basically. Uh, and the other big figure of this time is someone that is well known to people, fans of world cinema and art house cinema, is Wong Kar Wai. Yeah. Who yeah. has done lots of great movies, In the Mood for Love. Uh, Chongqing Express So many great movies That you would have heard of His debut film Was a film called As Tears Go By Which is basically His version Of Mean Streets 
which stars Andy Lau as kind of the Harvey Keitel character, a guy who's trying to get out of the gang, uh, but keeps getting pulled back in, essentially. Mm. And Andy Lau is the star of Infernal Affairs. Yeah. He plays uh, the character who is part of the gang, who is a mole within the police. Yeah, the Matt Damon. And every other Wong Kar Wai film stars Tony Leung, who is the other... The Leonardo uh, DiCaprio character. Leo. So he is in every single one of his other films. So these guys are fucking stars. They are, these two are bigger, if not like if not bigger than Leo and Matt. So at the time that this movie was made, 2002, or released, sorry, would you say these guys are like, these guys are the Leo and Matt Damon of Hong Kong? Maybe cinema? bigger. Like they are Maybe big stars and seeing them together is... Like it's huge. It's huge. It's huge. Especially Andy Lau, who is um, One he's of like the a pop star as well. I've ever seen. They're two of the hottest guys that exist. These can two. I say I didn't know these. I don't know these guys mm. at all. But from watching them for all, you need to do is watch them for like thirty seconds, and you realize you're watching superstars. Yeah. How does that? How does that translate across cultures? Because. I know nothing about them, but I immediately was like, these guys are clearly like incredibly famous. It has they to be. They just carry like, they have their charisma, the yeah. way they look. They're incredible looking people. And they have that movie star charisma, basically. Yeah, and yeah. I think it's that thing where both of them have such a striking visage where you read so much on their face regardless of if they are purposely doing it. It's mm. that movie star quality, the unidentifiable quality that makes a star, you know. What the French call a certain, I don't know what. <laughs> Um, so this was like a big team, team up for them And around this time This film was coming out To completely contextualise it It is uh, Hong Kong handed back over to mainland China And Hong Kong cinema was in a huge recession Infernal Affairs was a hit that reversed that hmm. And rather to kind of think of it as a genre revival uh, As far as Hong Kong cinema goes It's kind of the ultimate take the ultimate conclusion of all the things I've just spoken about right. being combined together. It's got the existentialism of Wong Kar Wai and the action of John Woo. Yeah, cool. You know, that's kind of yeah. where it all boils down to is this so ultimate this is conclusion. Like, we would call this the peak of like Hong Kong gangster cinema. Yeah, definitely. It's the peak rather than it being like a huge revival, a huge rebirth, which is a mm-hmm. huge theme in this movie. It's like movie. an exclamation point at the end of... Yeah. An era. It's probably what I would say um, a movie like um, Down With Love is. It's the perfect encapsulation of all the 1960s bedtime rom-coms uh, captured perfectly for a new generation. 30 years later. 30 years later. 30 years too late, perhaps. Um, I was going to say Austin Powers 2. Yeah. It's the Austin Powers 2 of the Austin Powers trilogy. Exactly. It's not... The complete revival, but it is the ultimate version of it's the Austin ultimate Powers. one, and sure, there will be more to come. You're still going to get gold. That member, could be a great joke fine. in Austin Powers. Hey, there's more to come, and don't be too cheeky about that. Because when they say "come" in those movies, they are being double entendre. It's a double entendre. Yeah, yeah, and this yeah. the movie we're going to talk about is all about the double. <laughs> Let's get into it. Let's get into Infernal Affairs. Ten years ago. Two friends became the best cadets on the force. One went undercover to infiltrate the mob. The other is a highly respected officer, but his true loyalty belongs to the crime lord. 
to uncover the traitor among them. They know he's dangerous. They know he's deadly. What they don't know is that they're hunting for each other. Infernal Affairs, 2002, directed by Alan Mack and Andrew Lau. Not to be confused with Andy Lau, the star of the film. Yes. Loyalty, honor, betrayal. Wow. Chan Wing Yang, a young police officer, has been sent undercover as a mole in the local mafia. Lau Kin Ming is a young mafia member, infiltrates the police force. Years later, race against time to expose the mole within their midst. Mm. So this is the first time you'd seen it. Yes. Had you been curious to go back and watch it before? I had read about it before. I think it. I didn't realize that The Departed was a remake until several years later. Really? Yeah, I was a bit dumb, dude. Okay. I'm so sorry. I was a bit silly. I was a bit stupid. Oh I didn't God, know apology shit. accepted. Been waiting for this one yeah. for quite some time. And then I think when I did learn about it, I did read. You know, just did one of those classic, um, one of those classic film blogs like Slash Film or something yep. that was like. You know, a comparison between Infernal Affairs and The Departed. Mm. What did they change? What did they keep? So I had read that stuff before. But I kind of... I'd never really bothered to go check it out. I was kind of dreading watching it this time. Mm. I wasn't sure how action-packed it was going to be. I thought it was going to be sort of basically the same plot, but... In my head, it was going to be slower. Yes. But fucking hell, Scorsese's one is way slower than this yes. one. This is like a, a runaway freight train. And can I just say, I'm going to give you my instant thoughts about it right now. I fucking loved it. It's it's really I wonderful, right? I every second of it. It is, it is weird how similar it is to The Departed. On this well, rewatch, it's undivorceable for that. It is undivorceable. And maybe that is coloring my feeling of it because... It felt like I knew what was going to happen all the time anyway, so there was no surprises. Um, it really felt like watching the film adaptation of a book I'd read or something yeah. because I knew exactly what was to come, but I think I enjoyed it a lot because it was it's like an hour and 40 minutes. So it was, I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, we're getting to this scene. Like I was yeah. excited any time a scene popped up. I'm like, oh, this scene already? Yes. Hell yeah, this shootout. I love this shootout. It's so fast. And yeah. these characters are like condensed and everything mm. like that. It feels like, which is weird because we're talking about the original first. Yeah. It does. It's it just feels like it is streamlined. Yes. This is a film that knows it's a genre film mm. and it not in a self-aware way, but in a way where it's just like you understand these characters already. You know you, the tropes. Uh, you know the tropes. These are archetypal characters. Mm. These are... Uh, this is a familiar plot, but it's mm. also a convergence of two familiar plots. Well, and it's exactly. all about streamlining it so you can just see the symbolism in their symmetry, basically. Is it not insane to you that this exact plot hadn't been done a million times? Like, we've mm. seen Undercover Cop in the... Like, going undercover to a yeah. gang. We've seen gang member trying to infiltrate cops. Yeah. We've seen plenty of cat and mouse detective criminal movies. Well, that's what the co- crime genre is. It is all about that cat and mouse yeah. between cop and criminal or detective and criminal in some but way. But how come this exact story had never been done? It feels like it's it's been begging to be yeah. made. And maybe that's why there's such a love affair with this movie all around the world. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's been remade as The Departed, but it's also been remade in Korean cinema. And there's a Hindi one and in the works And there's a Hindi now. one as well. So it's like... 
this plot feels like it has existed forever, mm. so much so that filmmakers and audiences everywhere are like, oh, finally, this story yes. that has existed in my mind is out there. Like, you could imagine this in 1938, starring mm. James Cagney versus fucking... Uh... Johnny Depp. He goes back in time <laughs> to be in it. Oh, my God. He lives back there. Yeah. But you can, you can so imagine that existing. Yeah. Like, it feels like so classical because is this strong archetypal plot and it lives on that symmetry that gangster films often do that moral that moral ambiguous line mm. of crook and cop crook and cr- uh, crook and cop yeah <laughs> crim and cop how crook do you make cop. fun of my stutter no no I'm not making fun of you I think you're fantastic I think you're a beautiful man <laughs> I love everything about you. To start at the beginning, this film begins with a quote kind of contextualizing <laughs> what is going to be the existential turmoil for this whole film. That's, that's the first point I've written down as well. Yeah. It's fabulous. I think it's really fabulous mm. at setting things off, especially for Western audience to just go to give you absolutely all the context you need. Yeah. All the cultural context for people uninitiated with like Buddhist faith is given to you in the first second of this film. Yes. The film begins with just basically Buddha's on fire almost. Like a like mm. you know, going through like this cavernous blackness with bo- golden Buddhas on each side with flames and stuff like that. And that's the opening credits. Mm. And then it comes with a quote that basically sets up the idea of the eighth circle of hell. Yeah, it's called a Vici hell and mm-hmm. it's uh uh, a form of inter- uh, eternal punishment. It's yep. like an ongoing hell. Without any chance of rebirth, really. No rebirth, no uh, redemption. Yep. And uh, basically, it's the idea of living on forever in your pain. Yeah. Which I am not, I'm not very familiar with Buddhism. I'm not very familiar with that idea. But um, seeing that at the beginning of this movie... Perfect, because yeah. it's a it's a perfect gateway to go, oh, okay, so that's what this movie is going to be about. It's going to be about, presumably, these two characters yeah. living in their own version of this. Um, and also, seeing as I know a lot about The Departed, it, it's, a, it's like a direct countenance to the moral philosophy of The Departed, which is... A Catholic, uh, Catholic, a Catholic version of by the, hell. one of the most Catholic filmmakers of all time. It <laughs> is the most Catholic movie yeah. by the guy that made a fucking Jesus biopic. Yes, <laughs> exactly. It's more Catholic than that one, and yeah. the one that he made about those priests. Oh, it is. It's more Catholic than that too. Yeah. Like that's it. Yeah. Is the that's which I've his, never seen, by the way. His religious trilogy is the Last Temptation of Christ, mm. the Silence. And the departed. The departed. <laughs> God, we got to do a trilogy screening of that somewhere. I know, but who would come? Everybody. <laughs> Every <laughs> cinephile in the world would come to that. It'll be it'll be our mecca. But thank God for that quote because that really put into context the differences between these two movies, and it'll give us a fair bit to talk about yep. next week when we get to the departed. But I guess for now, should we stick to this idea of like the philosophy behind mm. this movie? Exactly. Yeah. This idea of eternal hell. Uh, it's it's so apt because it's just because this movie is quick. It is like a runaway freight train, like you said. Mm. It just does not stop moving. Having that in your mind really sets the taste for what this film mm. is because. It is like a fast-paced action movie. It is a fast-paced cat and mouse game, or cat versus mouse versus wolf, who is also a mouse, basically. <laughs> it is. It just allows you kind of understand the existential turmoil that these two leads are going through without having to 
sit there with them mm. without having to have shots of them longing or even like if this was a Wong Kar Wai film, that's the whole film. Yeah. Be Tony yeah. Leung just like never smiling. Staring out window. Staring out. Basically doing what he's doing, but that's it. There's, yeah. no, there's no B plot. The Western version is someone like sitting on the edge of a bed with their head in their hands holding like... Um, ro- like rosary beads, in and it stars fucking Adrian Brody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I'll never see it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this is like it. I love that it tells you what it's about straight away. It's actually um a little cheat code that I've learnt from stand up comedy. When you do your show, if you do an hour show in stand up, if you just say in the first few minutes what your theme is, yeah. People will apply that to anything you yeah. say after that, even if you that's not your intention as a yes. writer. So if you get up on stage and go, hey, guys, this show is about accepting yourself or yeah. self-acceptance. And then you just do a bunch of jokes that are unrelated to that. Everyone at the end of the show will be like, man, I loved how it all tied into the It all tied up. You should come out with your show this year go, welcome to the eighth circle of hell. <laughs> Can I wear little horns? Wear little horns and like, ah, oh, you are going to be in for a little purgatorial treat, bitch. <laughs> there's no rebirth. There's no redemption for me. Anyway, guys, um, I've got strawberry blonde hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I couldn't help but apply that to everything in this. Anytime there's just a moment of silence in this mo- movie or one of these characters is like driving or looking out a window, I was like, oh, God, he's gone through some torture right now. <laughs> like, that's all you can think about. Exactly. Maybe we can talk about these two leads. We've already mm-hmm. talked about how bloody charismatic they are and yeah. how beautiful they they're are. Hot. They're, they're hot so dudes. hot. They're hot dudes. But this, their performances are so different from one another, even though they're essentially doing the same thing. Mm. They're playing someone who's pretending to be someone else mm. who is wanting to be that other person, essentially, and both wanting to have a redemptive arc and both wanting to become good and to do good in the world really mm. is what they that's what they're both striving for. I actually for. got that more from this than I did from The Departed. Yes. I feel like this movie plays more with the idea that this is uh two men who are struggling with the roles they have to play. Yeah. Whereas I think The Departed we get I don't know whether it was acting choices or whether it was some of Marty's direction. Yeah. But I feel like when I'm watching the part, I'm like, all right, Leo's the good guy. Yes. And he hates having to be bad. Matt Damon's just a fucking bad guy. Yeah. He's like an, a villain. Matt Damon is a piece of shit. He's a fucking asshole. But Andy Lau is not. No, I kind of watched him and went, there's something behind his eyes or there's something in his like his choices. There's a few moments in this movie where I think, he just wishes he was a cop. Yes. He wishes he was a legit good cop. And I almost feel like the choices that the character makes in this movie are to wipe everyone wipe everyone out from the gang world so that he can actually just be a cop. That's totally what he's trying yeah. to do. That's yeah. so what he's trying to do. He finds honour He wants honor to erase his past. And I think when he goes through the cadet course and everything and getting th- becoming a detective, you actually see him find his calling mm. in this movie, which I think is so brilliant because it the, it's a scene that we see where he's interviewing like a guy who must be a fellow gang member mm. and he gives he, he sneaks him his phone mm. to make a call from and then he gets the number and he seems genuinely excited mm. to have figured out a way to get the number yeah. that he would already have. Whereas that exact scene in The Departed plays like we are watching a guy who has zero respect for the law. Yeah. Like Matt Damon does that. It's it, it's exactly that scene, mm. but Matt Damon plays it as someone who's like, 
I don't have time to fucking be yeah. a cop here. I just, I'm just going to be a, a prick and yeah. like do it a sneaky way. And I think the way I thought about this Andy Lau performance at first, and it slowly keeps changing to be more what we're speaking of, is I thought of him as like very coolly duplicitous. Mm. Like he is all surface level, this character. Like the way that his performance is very to the surface. But then you start seeing him genuinely trying to be good and excited about his promotions and then realize like, oh fuck, now my promotion is I'm trying to find out Mm -hmm. who the mole is in this police force. He doesn't really know what to do anymore. Mm. And you can tell that he just wants to become a cop. He just wants to be a detective. Yeah. And it just it just reads totally on the surface. Whereas I think Tony Leung's performance, it is so deeply set behind his face. Well, I guess that speaks a lot about the two the two roles that the characters are playing. Whereas, you know, the guy who's pretending to be a bad guy has to conceal everything yeah. all the time. Everything is a, is yeah. like putting on bravado, putting on macho yeah. face. And so, as a result, the actor is doing the exact same thing too. He's yeah. like hiding his feelings, but we see it and we hear it in the music and like yeah. through filmmaking techniques. Through filmmaking we techniques. Get what's this film is chock full of techniques. And I think yeah. it's like... It's it, busy. It's a very busy film. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. No. Like, it's a bit dated. Yes. Watching it, it's 2002 and it reads like 2002. Yeah. Like the... Post-Matrix. Yes. Post-John Woo. The whips, the camera whips, the zooms, the pans, the weird editing. It's... Uh, there's these weird flashbacks that happen the whole yes. way through the movie. I think it is, is that just, a staple of Hong Kong cinema. I'm not really sure. I can't <laughs> really speak to that. But the way that I saw this is because this movie is such a fucking lean machine mm. that it is using every trick in the basic handbook on cinematic storytelling mm. uh, to not bog you down in literal exposition, mm. but to kind of feed you with cinematic storytelling exposition as exposition so there's lots of stuff where you literally slow down the Mm. pace like the actual footage slows down goes to kind of like you know 14 frames per second yeah like like that that. weird slow shutter yeah that slow it's not not slow slow motion you can't accuse it of being slow motion it's not slow motion (laughs) it's like the shutter speed is slow yeah they've slowed down something that was shot at 24, at speed. At 24 frames. Yeah, so it goes like that. And that's just, those are moments where you're like, oh, okay, i got to think about this, this guy's is, doing. They want me to think about the movements here. It's very hand-holding, but it's so fast that it doesn't yeah. feel like hand-holding. I had no problem with that. I think the, the only thing that I found a little cheesy was anytime someone dies, we get a minute-long montage of other scenes that they were in in the yeah. movie in black and white. You get a little clip show, black and white clip with show. With like a dialogue. Like you hear the lines <laughs> that they say again. Yeah, it's to go like, he was the key phrase. This yeah. was their relationship. This how this person said, was related which is to this like person. Cool. Like I, I, I wasn't against it, but every time it happened again, I was like, "Oh, come on!" Just I want to see the next scene. I don't want to remember mm. this character really. Watching it back this time, stuff like that, I go, "This makes sense in a three-hour movie. In mm. a one-hour forty-minute movie, mm. you don't need that as much." No, but I guess it's just a speedy technique that they want to go. It's like, like hey, you should feel sad because look, this guy said this meaningful thing here's why this guy said one meaningful thing an hour ago so feel a little bit of emotion for him yeah but it's it is, it is also a good way of reminding you the little clues that were dropped all yeah. throughout and whatnot and the other technique that is really used a lot in this is a few others but like one of them is freeze framing mm. like either ending scenes on freeze frames or just like you know 
like ending a scene on a freeze frame to go, all right, that's what I need to know about this. Yeah. Or that was a good character, Pete, that I need to know. Mm. And then like kind of fading out to show progression of time, mm. fading in to show time has progressed. Yeah. It's um it is it's a it's a very workmanlike film, and I mean that as a compliment. Yeah. Because it is by the books filmmaking techniques mm. just to hold your hand along something that is moving too fast and you might slip otherwise. Yeah. And I mean, luckily it's an interesting plot. So you're like, you forgive it. Mm. And the action scenes are handled very well. And the acting is like world-class. It's so, really world-class So you're acting. lucky that like those little moments that are a bit cheesy or whatever, I'm like more forgiving of because I'm like, well, I'm watching some fantastic acting right yeah. now. Yeah. And I think uh, one of the other things that I found absolutely beautiful about this film is the photography is stunning. Oh, yeah, it's gorgeous looking, right? It is stunning because all the dialogue is filmed super close up, Mm. like almost ECU extreme close up. It's like just heads talking at each other basically. But then all the action and all the movement of this film is super wide. And I'm talking like a meter of headroom above them all. And watching this, I was like, this feels like Wong Kar Wai. Like if Wong Kar Wai made like a full-on action movie, which Mm. he has in the past as well. Um, But it is so beautiful. Like it... Andrew Lau, who is one of the co-directors of this film, he's also the cinematographer of this film. Mm. He was the cinematographer of Wong Kar Wai's first film that I mentioned earlier, As Tears Go By. He didn't shoot any of his other films. That was Christopher Doyle, Mm. who we've talked about in the past because he shot fucking Psycho, the reboot. (laughs) Uh, But he became the cinematographer of Wong Kar Wai's films and basically became the way that we see... Hong Kong cinema like the way Hong Kong cinema looks and he was the visual consultant for this film and I think this film perfectly lands between those two voices in cinematography because it captures this kind of like beauty like everything feels like it's diffused like almost shot through silver or something Mm. like the colors are very muted and very blue and it has that really like digital grainy Filmy quality to everything. It looks like 2002. That's what when I look yeah. at it, I saw action movies that look like this at the time. Yeah. Like fucking Jet Li movies and stuff. Like, like it feels like, I guess it's also because of the way that we would have seen movies like this at this time on, from this part of the world DVD, would have been dude. through like VCD, DVD, <laughs> you know, like VCD, a technology that didn't exist in the West basically, <laughs> except for watching stuff like this. Yeah. It feels like that. Like it has that blue quality. It definitely feels like 2002. Yeah. And this film uses mobile phones so well. <laughs> I know. I forgot about all that plot from The Departed and it, it still, it fucking holds up. It's great. Yes. I think this is the best use of mobile phones ever. Best use of texting. Best use of it talking It is the on best the use of texting. Yeah. The Catfish is the second probably after the, yeah. <laughs> these two films really. I think it's fucking cool. Um, can I ask you a question? I It's been a while since I watched The Departed. There's a scene in this movie that I think... <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking? You I don't... know exactly what we're going to talk about. I don't about. reckon you do. Okay. I reckon I'm on. I reckon I'm on my okay. own path here. I reckon you won't know what I'm talking about. There's a scene in this movie that I don't think is in The Departed. Yeah, and I could be wrong. Is it the hi-fi store scene? Uh, no. Okay. But I liked that scene. Yes. I was thinking of the scene where um the Leo character yeah meets an ex-girlfriend of his. Oh, okay. So in The Departed, there oh, in this film, there are two female characters. Yes. There's a love interest for Tony Leung's character, mm. which is uh, like a, 
a police assigned psychiatrist, which is the Vera Famigo. Yes, and she doesn't know him as being a police officer. She mainly sees him as a gangster, yeah, because that's what he's very deep undercover. There are less people. There's only one person that knows he's undercover in this movie, mm. and that he's that's his direct superior. Yeah, and um, so he. The existential for this character is so steeped in his loneliness mm. that no one knows his truth, mm. and that's why he f- truly feels like he is becoming a bad guy because yeah. he doesn't. No one knows him as a good guy, no yeah. one at all, and that, that's why this film is so magnificent in its his struggle trying to come back out of that, trying to be reborn and redeemed back to being good. And so there's that character who is his psychiatrist. And apparently it's like kind of hinted that they might have slept together, they might have hooked up. And then it's very hinted that this that her daughter might be his daughter. Yeah, that was um that's not in the departed, right? It is I mean, I know that the therapist yeah. character is in it and she's in a love triangle with the two yeah. of them, but there's no kid. There's no there is a pregnancy in the departed. That's true. Oh, that's it ends with the pregnancy yeah. where we're not quite sure whose it is, right? Yes. But in this one, this character has a child, yeah, and she says something like, um, "She says something like, oh, I haven't seen you in seven years or whatever.'" And she's got this kid, yeah, and uh, it's implied that they hooked up or they were a couple, yeah. And he says like, "How old's your daughter?" And she's like five, and then he's like, "All right, I gotta go see you," and he leaves. And then the daughter's like, "Mummy, I'm six. Why did you lie?" Yeah, about my age. So I guess the implication there is that it's his daughter. Yeah, but I thought that added. So much more. I think that a part of was lacking in that. It made me just go, oh my God, this character will never know peace. Yes. He's like missed out on the opportunity of being a father, all in service of this, what ultimately becomes a futile undercover operation. Being undercover for like nine, six years or something like that. It's implied it's like 10 years. Yeah. There's a big time jump there where he says like it was... Three years, then another three, then another three. Like, when's it going to end? We meet him as like a 19-year-old yeah. guy. It's then there's a full-on actor change. It's an actor change. It's implied a decade has passed. And in that time, he has missed out on all the opportunities that normal people like us are afforded. Yeah. Like falling in love and yeah. having a family, a career, etc. Like that. Yeah. He's just stuck in, like in hell. And I think what The Departed is missing is that... Presumably, in that a part of the time jump is shorter. Mm. It's like a year. Yeah. So, like, fucking, so what? Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, it's only been a year, dude. You'll be out of this. Chill out. You'll be out in a second, in yeah. one hot second. This guy's been stuck in undercover land for 10 years. Yeah. It's really tragic. It's really tragic. And I think tragic. that was a, a beautiful element that was added in here. The other element that's not, that is unique to this film, is there's an ex- a scene, an exchange between these two characters uh, during their first kind of times undercover, mm. when they're fully immersed in the undercover world. Mm. The first time we meet them as their. Fully potential, like they're they're new actors, the actors that we yeah. know, um, and it's an exchange where Tony Leung is working undercover at like a hi-fi store mm. for very brief it's moments. Like, I guess mob operated. Yeah, like maybe there's they- an implication that they have to pay the triads yeah. for, like in the way that protection in- money. There is that scene in The Departed yeah. where Leo goes to the. Delhi or whatever. Yeah, so it's all about protection money, and it is the only time the two characters really meet before. Mm. They do meet in a kind and they of bond. finale. They bond. They get along. They talk about hi-fi shit because mm. um, Andy Lau 
he has just like received a promotion. He's just being put into like the elite type of the force, hmm. and he uh, wants to buy this new hi-fi system. And Tony who Lung, Yeah, exactly. It's how you're going to celebrate. You're going to get hi-fi systems, cool little amp. globes and tubes <laughs> and stuff. And then uh, and then Tony Luke is just like, hey, let me just tell you, this is not what you should be getting. Yeah. And it's like this kind of cool, very honest exchange where they're kind of geeking out about something that mm. is unrelated. They listen but, to a track from, yeah. some, from some pop song, yeah. And it kind of shows them really like as real people mm. a divorce of this it's like i would say it's the one moment they're not in hell yeah yeah is when they get to meet each other and then that scene was reflected back at the end of the movie when mm. uh, uh is it andy lau uh andy lau is andy, my favorite. yeah andy lau is like sitting on the floor of his apartment yeah. listening to that same song on yep. his hi-fi so we get I had never put two and two together then, but yeah, that's a nice like deliberate callback. On yeah. Him. This time he's alone. And now this moment that was originally quite a nice moment is now a moment steeped in hell and yeah, pain. Exactly. So that's like, so good. I'd never noticed that. That's yeah. That's quite nice. Yeah. Is this movie better than the departed? I don't know, man. Well, I guess that's something we're going to have to be really thinking about when we Shit. get to it next week. So there's two other characters that we haven't talked about yet that I'd love to jump in on before we wrap things up. It is the direct superiors to these characters. They're bosses, they're yeah. leaders, they're masters, really. Uh, we've got Eric Tsang as Hon Sam, who is the head gangster, like mm. the boss of all the triads. And I adore his performance in this <laughs> he might be my he's one of my mvps in this movie i, I actually this is a movie free of MB, mvps because everyone is killing it in this film <laughs> but he plays this character as this kind of like greedy full of like childlike greed really mm. not sharing anything and just like not even duplicitous he's just fucking so selfish and so yeah, evil. I had it when I was watching it. I had a feeling you were going to like this character. I love because he's tubby and he's has like this cool hair. And he's got cool blonde hair. And he's also, he kind of has a sadness to him in a mm. weird way. He's kind of got like Charlie Brown vibe going on yes. where he's like, just this like, he's like a little boy. He's like yeah. a little petulant boy. Like he yeah. has little tantrums. He smashes old mate's arm cast. He throws his fucking food all over the floor yeah. in the cop shop. He's like a little tantrum boy. And it's, how, it's like, how does this guy have all the power in this movie? And he really does. Yeah. And like, he's, he's not scary. He's like, not he's scary, not threatening, no. But there's, you could also see him being a leader in some way. I don't know yeah. why. I think it's just because he's chubbier than everyone. Yeah. <laughs> It might shorter. Yeah. But he's just got the, you know, that charismatic energy. He's I, very charismatic. I also love Anthony Wong as Wong, the superintendent. Yeah, who's sort of... Like, he's like, in the part of he's turned into three characters. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of unnecessary, but also a good... I don't know. I guess it's good because you get to see multiple uh, sides of a authority figure in the departed there. But he is... He's the heart and soul of this film, I reckon. Mm. He's the Uncle Ben, basically. Yeah. Like, he is, like, becomes, like, this kind of father figure to both of these characters in a way that is, like, gentle and in- but enforceful. Mm. And I just think his performance is so... It's so understated in this film, but it's, like, it's very full of life. You know what I mean? Like, it's he's someone that was, like, that's a real person in this film. Yeah. 
And he just, I don't know, I don't know, just really, I really love that characterization that he has. And I guess those two characters are purposely designed to be mirrors of each other as well, yeah. in a way. They're both like authority figures who are kind of fathers to yeah. young men. Uh, and it just goes to show the the ways that either of that can go. You can either be um, it just like so- a duplicitous asshole or you can be kind of benevolent. And yeah, yeah it's, it's, um, it's cool, man. I love uh, I love the scene between the two of them in the interrogation room mm. where they're kind of joking around. It's that classic. It feels like it would be in a Scorsese movie. That and they classic, feel like at that time they feel like they're brothers. Or well, something. yeah, I guess that's the vibe is that Scorsese does so well is like the cop and the villain are often sort of like brotherly. Yeah, and they're making jokes like they're going uh, the the cop guy is going like. Well, um, you never pop in anymore. It's nice to see you. How come yeah. you never drop by? And the villain's like, oh, I always feel bad showing up empty-handed. And, yeah. Uh, but uh, please, I'll come around any time if you want. And then the cop's like, why don't you come back again tomorrow? Yeah. And like, it's all like heavily coded but funny as well. That it's like, like you're seeing these two be delighted by the game. They, and they enjoy do the feel game. Like, they do feel like these, like, you know angelic presences they feel like they literally are above everyone else mm. in this world and it's their game that we're it's playing. good world building because it's like we're witnessing one moment in what has probably been like a decade-long cat and mouse yeah. between these two exactly and they know each other yeah and they know each other's histories and stuff i think that really sets up the way that this film concludes and i think it is so brilliantly on theme for this film we get truly stuck in the hell without mm. any sense of rebirth. And like, I know the way this film ends. I know it. I've seen it before, but it struck me so hard mm. because it doesn't allow for anyone to have a redemption. Even though this is a film that is leading to the redemption of two people is basically what the whole journey of this film is. And we get to the point where the moles find out about each other. They finally figure out who the mole in each organization is. And it comes to a point, it comes to this amazing standoff the, uh, on top of this skyscraper. Mm. We see the amazing Hong Kong Harbor out in this like, it's blue. The scene is blue. It's yeah. like sun washed in absolute blue. Mm. And it is so cool. And so this scene is only symmetrical. Like it just is filmed like in perfect Kubrickian symmetry. It's like Wes Anderson if he was cool. And it ends brutally. Yeah. Absolutely brutally. Spoilers. Well, you've already listened to the whole thing. There's no point in saying spoilers now. But we think that Tony Leung is finally going to get out. He's going to come back and be a cop. Yeah. And then he is... Destroyed. He's shot. We get a little montage showing all his best moments. Yep. He's showing why he was such an MVP and so loved and why we should feel sad that he's dead. It's like an Oscars highlight reel. It is like yeah. an Oscars highlight reel and it works in the same way. We are like, yep, great performance and mm. I am sad that he's dead. I'm like it, bummed it, out. It truly hits home. Like, And I, it's, it's, a, it's an argument for this weird technique that is unique to this yeah. movie. Yeah, true. And then uh, Andy Lau, you know, he's like kind of being hailed as a, a good guy, being mm. hailed as a hero for stopping the mole and for, yeah. you know, putting an end to this crime world. Um, but even before that, we, re- we we it is very spelled out to us that 
the person that kills him is another cop in the force mm. who this entire time has been another mole in yeah. the organization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was one of the people, the film begins with a group of like 10 teenage boys mm. who are all being introduced into the police force by our villain, mm. by Sam, who's sending them all in. And he's basically just going like, yeah, I've followed your career. I've known you've been the mole, but um, people forgot about me because I never really made it as a cop. I've been here the whole time. And um, I just killed him. <laughs> I killed him. And now that Sam's dead, because you killed Sam, or he doesn't say that he doesn't yeah. know that you killed Sam. Well, you, no, he does. It's like, because you killed Sam, I, you are now my boss. And we're in the police force. We can take it down. We can be in here forever. And it's just basically, you, you just see this guy, Andy Lau, who's like, I'm. F- he's basically thinking he's going to be free at this yeah, point. Yeah. And he's like, no, nope, you are a full-on criminal. I've mm. I've made it so you were a criminal forever. You are my boss. Yeah. It's sad. It's the yeah. saddest ending. It it's is. It's the saddest possible ending for this film. Well, it is this it's just perpetual hell. That's perpetual where they're living. Perpetual hell. Perpetual hell, that's it. There's no way out and then he kills this guy mm. and he tries to make it the best way that he can, but all he's filled with at the end of the film at the funeral for Tony Lung's character which in where he is truly honored, it is revealed that he was this hero this whole time. Mm. His psychiatrist reveals everything, um, except for who the actual mole is, because they didn't have that information. And he's just re- revealed to be living in this perpetual hell, where he's like, he literally flashed back to the first time that they ever saw each other, which is in like the police cadet school. Mm. And Tony Leung's character is forced out. He is expelled from the force. Um, so he can go deep undercover. And they're like, if you go this way, you should do that or something. And he's like, yeah, I wish I was. He literally is yeah. his future self in that moment going like, I wish I had gone down that path. Mm. But now it's the implication is, I wish I was dead. Exactly. <laughs> I the, wish I was dead. Because the guy's saying, like, uh, do you, if, you, if you fuck up, you could end up like him. Yeah. So now he's, like, looking at a dead man and being like, I wish I was him. Yeah. Yeah. I it's wish I was this dead brutal. man. brutal. So there's two sequels to these films. I have not seen either properly. The second one, Infernal Affairs 2, is a prequel kind of set in those cadet days. Mm. Really, and it just moves too fast even faster than this one. It's mm. hard to kind of keep up with at this point. And then the th- Infernal Affairs 3 is like a prequel sequel. It's set six months before and ten months after. Oh. So it's it's not easy. They're not easy watches. God, what's the point? This movie wraps everything up so perfectly. Yeah. It doesn't need to be a franchise. It really doesn't need to be, but I guess they made lots of money. It was a whole resurgence. It like revamped their entire film economy. I just had a thought as well that I think the reason this cinematic language that we're talking about in this film and how we struggled with it because it is so economical. Like Mm. it really is an economical filmmaking style because it's doing so much so you have to do so little Mm. watching it. I think because the way that we in the West, especially people like us who are in comedy, the way that we see these films is so filtered because... John Woo defined action cinema Mm. in the East. Then he came here, defined it for a very brief, (laughs) like three-year period. Mm. And then every parody since then of action cinema has been based on that. Yeah, that's true. Like MacGruber and stuff like that is all based on like Face Off, Broken Arrow, and like 
Under Siege and like mm. all of those kind of movies where this was like cutting edge cinema <laughs> and now it's like filtered through us through parody. So all we see is those recognize those moments and go like, ah, oh, that's weird. Yeah, that's we funny. go, oh, it's cheesy because we've yeah. seen it before. But this was like possibly towards the beginnings of that style. Or it's just like in that style, yeah. you know. It's so, it is weird how filtered this is. Yeah, I know. This has been such a thrill to talk about this movie, right? I'm surprised. I really didn't think I was going to love it. I really honestly was prepared to come in and go, I was bored. But yeah. But that was a thrilling ride. I was so happy to be on it. Highly recommend this one. Yeah, Catch I, it on I Netflix. mean, I feel like if you're if you're like me out there, you'd probably be thinking, oh, it's going to be like homework to watch this. Yeah. Anything that has subtitles <laughs> and it has stars, you don't know. You're yeah. like, oh god, I can't believe I have to watch this. It thing. feels but, like hard work. Yeah, but honestly, like this was, it felt like a fucking joy. I was, yeah. it was thrilling. It was fun. The stars are like the leads of this movie are like. Equally, maybe even better than some of the stars that we have in fucking Western cinema. So, I was like enthralled. I fucking loved it and it was easy to watch. And I think because it is like that hand-holding thing. And I think in the same way that we talked about Hidden Fortress as like a gateway to uh, world cinema and Akira Kurosawa, I think this is such a great modern gateway to world cinema as well, especially Mm. Eastern cinema, because it's just like it it teaches you the technique. It teaches you how they look. It teaches you who fucking huge stars of this world are. And it is such a joy. It's familiar. But it's also unique because it's got this huge cult- cultural context added to it that is just w- different and amazing. Hmm. Uh, it's on Netflix if you're in Australia. Yep. It's easy to watch. You have to watch this film. And I don't think we've really spoiled anything for you because, like, it's an archetypal film. True. And you've probably already seen The Departed. So exactly. You know it's a worldwide up. phenomenon and one best picture. Yeah. Best Which rat. Is what we're talking about next <laughs> week is the fucking rat from The Departed. Yeah. I actually cannot wait to talk to you about The Departed. I've been looking forward to this since we started this podcast. This has been, to me, this little double episode has been the one that I've been most looking forward to. Wow. So that's next week. And The Departed itself is also on Netflix. Check out Netflix, guys. It's a lot of cool stuff. Stream. Yeah, it only costs twelve ninety nine a month. Or seventeen ninety nine if you're like me and you want that four K experience. <laughs> Cameron, tickets are on sale right now for your Melbourne International Comedy Festival. You got a short run. Tickets are already selling. I do. Yeah, it's um, it's uh, there's only like twelve shows or something like that, so there's not many. And uh, get in while you can. That's all I'm going to say because tickets are going pretty quickly. So if you'd like to come see me in Melbourne, the show is called Strawberry Blonde. My name is Cameron James. I would love to have you there. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I reckon you'll laugh three or four times a second. That is too much. Because for a second there, you thought I was just going to say three or four times. I really, three or four times throughout the whole show. Which is not good money's worth. That's not good money's worth, but it's like probably the same amount of last you get watching Infernal Affairs. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, no, I'd love to have you there. It'd be a lot of fun. Get your tickets now while you can. I uh, also want to say thank you to all our Jungle Babies and Horny Babies and Drago Babies mm. that came to our special sold-out screening yeah. of Rocky Four at the Golden Age Cinema. It was a dream. It was a scream. That was the most fun night we've had forever. So good. 
I so good. probably have never been more drunk in my life. Yeah, we got wasted. I drank basically a whole bottle of rosé. Yeah. And I was crying the next day. We did shots. We, we did shots. Had, I had vodkas. It was a big night. We met some great people. So if you came to that, thank you so much. It was awesome to meet you guys. It was. It honestly was so much fun. Yeah. One of the most fun nights of our whole lives. I loved it. And I loved watching that movie again. It was great watching that we movie should put again. On, we should try and put on a screening of it in uh, Melbourne or something. I would love to try and figure that out. If you work at a cinema in Melbourne, hit mm. us up. Yeah. You can hit us up on at Total Reboot Pod on Twitter and get on that Twitter right now. Right now on that Twitter, there is a poll for what our next little double of reboots is going to be. Because this month in cinemas, there are three huge remakes, <laughs> reboots coming out. One of them is for the new Hellboy movie, which is a reboot of Guillermo del Toro's Hellboy. Mm -hmm. There is also a remake of the Disney animated classic Dumbo, live action style, directed by Tim Burton, starring Batman and the Penguin. So there's those two. Or you can choose Pet Cemetery, A remake of the Stephen King film starring... No one you know. Well, there's one guy you know. He's a little guy that calls home the third rock from the sun. John, oh, John Lithgow's in the new one, but in the original one, no one you know. Never seen the original I one. I saw it at Comedians Talking Over Movies. Oh, really? I talked over it. What would you be picking of those three for us Pet to talk Cemetery. about? That's where your vote's going? Yes. I voted for Dumbo, regretted it immediately, but my vote's locked in. I'm devastated if I have to watch Dumbo. Right now, it's neck and neck. It literally, the three of them, it's neck and neck. Oh my it's like God. 33% each, basically. Oh, my God. So, it is up to you right now. The poll is on until Saturday or Sunday. So, if you're listening to this on the Friday, you've got the weekend to think about it, make your choice, but vote in that because that's going to be what we're going to be talking about next on this podcast. In the meantime, you can go over to patreon.com slash total reboot and subscribe for bonus content from us where we talk about our reboot risk. We reboot our own choices on how we think movies should be remade and stuff like that. Talk about what we've been watching, get access to a Facebook group called the Cinephile Registry for registered cinephiles only. Uh, It's so much fun in there. And until next time, enjoy cinema directed by Martin Scorsese, such as The Departed. (laughs) Wait, I'm